Uh, I, I didn't start out to preach three messages in a, in a little series on the life of Jesus, but that's kind of how it's ended up. I've, I've preached two messages. I'm going to preach a third one today. Kind of on the, on the last few days, the, last, the, the end of Jesus' life. And two weeks ago, we talked about the death of Jesus and its implications for us. And if you were here, we talked about how his death was motivated by his love. The nature of his death was substitutionary. He gave himself for us. And then we talked about the extent of his death being universal for all men everywhere. And then last week, we talked about the resurrection of Jesus. And, and we said that because Christ is risen, when we talk about Jesus, when we proclaim Jesus like we're doing this morning, and, and maybe more importantly, when you talk about Jesus with your coworkers and your neighbors across the, the neighborhood fence or something, you know, that, that, is, that matters. That matters because it can absolutely change somebody's eternal destiny. And uh, so we said that because the resurrection is real, the witness of the apostles was true. And we said that the testimony of both Jesus and their word, they're both true and are trustworthy and we can trust them. And then the last thing we said last week about the resurrection of Jesus was that because Christ is risen, our lives are not to be pitied. Our lives are to be emulated, even envied, right? Although I believe all men uh, can follow Jesus if, uh, if they will. And uh, so, but our lives are to be emulated and not pitied. Now, today I want to round out these three messages, uh, talking about the ascent or mentioning the ascension of Jesus, but really tying the ascension of Jesus or the leaving of Jesus from planet Earth as 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 we knew him or as they knew him back then. And uh, but maybe more specifically, exploring the baptism of the Holy Spirit that has was involved, I think, within Jesus or because Jesus was leaving and because of what Jesus promised us. Now, Jesus, having come back to life, he met with his disciples for uh, 40 days. Uh, over the next uh, month, and a, month and a little bit, he met with Jesus, having uh, laid his body in the earth, his life returned to him. And his body uh, was restored, but it was more than restored. The Bible says his body was transformed in that resurrection. And it is the same transformation that's going to happen to every one of us who puts our faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, in his first sermon, Peter's first sermon, after this Pentecost thing that we're going to be talking about in just a few moments, he interprets the words of King David in one of the Psalms, where David said that God would not abandon him to the realm of the dead, nor let his holy one see decay. And, uh, you know, people probably thought that referred to David, but Peter says, that doesn't refer to David. David is still in his grave. His, his body has decomposed. He, he is gone. Uh, he's not there anymore. His body under, underwent decay. But, but Peter says David was talking not about himself, but about Messiah. Not about himself, but about Jesus. And he says, God raised Jesus, this is Peter speaking, God raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And so for 40 days, you can picture this, for 40 days, and how often in those 40 days, I'm not sure, but in those 40 days, Jesus met with his disciples, having risen from the dead, having taken his life back, transformed. He met with them, and he explained to them the scriptures. He taught them the implications of the new covenant. And uh, though I, I don't think that all those things really sank in right away. As a matter of fact, I think that Paul, who was uh, led to Christ by Christ himself on the road to Damascus, Damascus with some extraordinary means... Uh, to convince him, Paul would get it before them. 
He would understand the implications of the first covenant or the new covenant uh, more than they would, but they would all get it eventually. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, Jesus tells his disciples, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then, and then Jesus dismisses a question they have about the kingdom of Israel and its restoration, and he tells them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin right here where you are. Stay right here for now, but beginning right here where you are, I want you to go to the rest of the world. I want you to take this message of my resurrection and of life in me. I want you to take that everywhere you go. And when he had finished talking to them, the Bible says that Jesus ascended into heaven. In other words, he ascended up. All right? He defied gravity and uh, he rose in the air until the clouds obscured his view. In verse 9, chapter 1, after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. And that was the last that they would see of Jesus in his human nature in his human divine nature. Maybe I should say it that way because the early church basically identified and said Jesus had both a, a perfect human nature and a perfect God nature as well. And, uh, and neither one of those was compromised. So wait for 10 more days, they did. They stayed in Jerusalem just like Jesus had told them uh, until the Holy Spirit was poured out on them and they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this happened, this happened at Pentecost, which is the Jewish Feast of Weeks, or the Jewish festival of first fruits, okay? And it's celebrated seven weeks after Passover. And uh, it, it's impossible to believe, now follow with me here, it's impossible to believe that the Holy Spirit did not choose Pentecost on purpose. I mean, it's just too much to imagine that Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit just by coincidence happened on the same day. They didn't happen on the same day by coincidence. God chose Pentecost to be the day that he would baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to talk about at the very end of this talk this morning, I'm, I'm going to tell you all why I think he chose that festival of weeks or that festival of first fruits to pour out his spirit. But we'll come back to that a little bit later on. But let's remind ourselves of what happened on the day of Pentecost, uh, Pentecost chapter 2, verse 1. Follow along. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. And, and then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled Now, there, was, there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven, and when the sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them, that is, these disciples on whom the Holy Spirit was being poured out, speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hear them in our own native language? And then in verse 9 through um, most of 11, they, they name all these different languages that they hear these disciples speaking in. And then they say at the end of verse 11, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own 
tongues. And they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But some sneered and said, They're drunk on new wine. Well, this is exactly what John the Baptist had prophesied three years earlier. When Jesus comes onto the scene, you remember John the Baptist made this statement in Matthew 3.11. He said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I, and I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And just 10 days earlier, Jesus, reiterating that very same statement, said, this is what John promised. What I'm going to do, this is what John promised, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now this morning, what I want to do is I want to answer the question, what was that thing that happened at Pentecost? What was the significance of what the Holy Spirit did that day that, that John had prophesied and Jesus delivered? What was the significance of that moment on that day of Pentecost? Now, before I answer my own question, I want to tell you that I had five pages of notes that I discarded <laughs> because what I did is I went back in the Old Testament and I, and I found Everything that, that the Spirit does in the New Testament, He did in the Old Testament, everyone. It's a great study. You ought to go look for it. Everything that the Spirit of God does in the New Testament, you can find where He did it in the Old Testament as well. And so my point was going to be, what's so different about, the, about Pentecost or about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because He's doing the same things He's done all throughout the Old Testament. But I discarded all those notes for cause of time. So here's my answer to my own question. What was the significance? I think we find it in 1 Corinthians 12. 12 and 13. So if you're taking notes, you probably want to note this down and you can go back and read it. But the Apostle Paul is talking and this is what he says. He says, for just as the body is one and has many parts and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. And he's liking us to a physical body. And then he says this, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks were there slaves or free? We were all given one spirit to drink. Now, here's what I think Paul was saying. Here, here's what I think is the significance of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. On that day, the Spirit of God baptized us. The word means immerse. He immersed us into one body into one group. It doesn't matter whether we are Jewish by heritage or non-Jewish, whether we are a slave or whether we are a master of slaves, whether whatever our skin color, whatever our gender, we were all united into one body, one group, one calling. Now Peter, in his same message, a little bit later on, quoting from the prophet Joel, that minor prophet that we studied, he says this, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel, and it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. In other words, that what the spirit of God did that day was he united all people into one group. He, he joined us all in Christ. Years later, Peter would elaborate on this a little bit in his first letter, and listen to what he would say beginning in chapter 2, verse 9. Peter would say this about this group, this being in Christ. He said, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
On the day that God baptized those first believers in His Holy Spirit, here's the significance. He joined them together, Jews and non-Jews alike, into one body, into one people, into one nation, into one chosen race, who are forever joined by His Spirit in Christ. And ever since that day, now you're following me, but ever since that day, God the Spirit has been baptizing men and women into Christ. He's been joining men and women into Christ, into his ecclesia. That's the word we use around here for church. It means to be called out once. And he's been joining all of us called out in Christ into one group. Okay? So you're following me and you're asking yourself this question. So what's the big deal about God joining us into one group in Christ? Why is that significant? Why does that matter? Well, it matters because the Bible says that All the blessings of God are found from being in Christ. All the blessings of God are found when we are in this group that is in Christ that the Holy Spirit put us in. All the blessings of God. Now, for the rest of my time this morning, we're going to be looking from uh, from Ephesians chapter 1. So if you want to flip over to Ephesians, and I hope you're tracking with me because if not, I'm going to lose you. Hopefully I haven't lost you. But the Holy Spirit on, on Pentecost Day baptized men and women by, his, by himself, by his spirit, into one body, into one group, the called out group of men and women who would follow Jesus. And the significance of putting us in this group is that being in Christ or being in this group are where all the blessings of God are found. So it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the, heavenly, in the heavens in Christ. I didn't read that well. Let me read it again because it's worth hearing. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. So every blessing that God has to give to us is found in Christ, and he gave it to us in Christ. And the baptism work of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Day was to immerse us, place us into Christ. And ever since then, he's been placing believers into Christ. So what are the blessings that are ours in Christ? What are these blessings that the Holy Spirit immersed us into when he brought us into Christ? Well, let's look at verse 4 and following. 4 says, For he chose us in him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless in love before him. Now, one of the blessings there is being holy and blameless, and I'll come back to that. But before I do, let me talk about verse 4 a little bit, because Christians read verse 4 in two different ways. So if you have your Bible, look at the verse in front of you. For he chose us in him, in Christ. I'm I'm putting the word Christ in there. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. Now, Christians read that verse in one of two ways. One, they'll read it like this. Before the foundation of the world, God chose some of us to be in Christ. And God chose those same people that he chose to be in Christ to be holy and blameless in love. Now, other folks read the verse, and they read it like this. Before the foundation of the world, God chose that whoever is found in Christ would be holy and blameless in love before him. I'm going to see if I can't explain that with an airplane metaphor, okay? Here's an airplane metaphor. Um, In the first understanding of what I just gave to you, people read the verse, and they say, God has determined or predestined both who gets on the plane, and I'm going to call the plane in him, in him airlines, right? 
And on the Inhim Airlines, God is determining who's going to get on the plane, but God is also determining the destination of the plane. In this case, being holy and blameless before God. And he did that before he created anything or anybody. In the second understanding, God is determining or predestining the destination of the plane to holiness and blamelessness, but he is not predestining who gets on the plane. So that's two ways of reading that verse. And I want to tell you something. Men throughout the centuries have read it differently, and we've read it differently. However, here's what I want you to hear. However you read the verse, the first part of the verse, we all agree on this one thing, that everybody who is found in Christ has been predestined to certain spiritual blessings. And that's what I want to do for the rest of this morning, is I want to share with you those blessings that are found in Christ. So let's look at them. Number one, in Christ, we are holy and blameless, verse 4. Now, I've talked about that already, but I haven't defined what that means. What that means is that in Jesus, God takes and he gives all of Jesus' perfections, all his holiness, all his blamelessness, and he puts it on me. He declares me to be holy and blameless in Christ. And here's the the, the sad thing is that he took all of my sin and rebellion and he put it on Christ and he crucified Christ. Christ died to pay my death, the death that I deserved for my sin. Christ bore it. God gives me his righteousness. So here's what it means to me. Here's the destination of the plane being in Christ. You will and are holy and blameless. You're already holy and blameless before God now as far as God's declaration. But listen to this. God is going to make you absolutely holy and blameless. He's going to transform your nature so that you will not sin anymore. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to not having to struggle with sin. Aren't you? I tell you what, if I'm wrong on that, I'll be almost so disappointed if we have to struggle in heaven on, you know, with sin. I know I'm not wrong, but, but you know, blamelessness, holiness in Christ, that's where this plane is going. I am going to be holy and blameless. Number two, in Christ, he is adopting us as sons and daughters. Verse five, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. So he's adopting us. You know the plane, the in him plane airline? Here's where it's heading. It's heading towards adoption. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're already adopted, right? Yeah, you're already adopted, but it hasn't really come through yet. I mean, we've got a family in our church that's waiting to adopt, right? And, and by all practical purposes, those children belong to them, but it's not final yet, right? It's still coming. Well, here's, here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8. The whole world groans waiting for our adoption, okay? So there's a sense in which there's going to be this final adoption. I mean, it's going to become final. We are the sons of daughters and daughters of God through the Lord Jesus. In Christ, we have been adopted. And this takes place at our resurrection. It takes place at that final judgment of God. Verse number three, in Christ we have redemption. Look at verse seven. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Now the word redemption there literally means to rescue, to ransom, to deliver. In Christ God has rescued me from the penalty of my sin, which is death. God is going to rescue me from my impending, non-negotiable, non-escaping death. He's going to raise me back to life. I'm going to die for my sins, but Christ is going to raise me and give me life, and I will never, ever die again. And and that is what it means to be in Christ. I have been rescued. I have been redeemed. Number four, in Christ we have forgiveness. 
In the same verse, verse 7, in, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he poured out upon us through Christ with all wisdom and understanding. God rescues me by forgiving me my sin, by Jesus taking my sin debt upon himself. I have been forgiven in Christ. I have forgiveness of my sins. Lest you forget where we're going, lest you forget what we're doing. Remember the beginning verse? All spiritual blessings are found where? Where are they found, guys? They're found in Christ, right? What are they? They're forgiveness. They are adoption. They are holiness and blamelessness. They are redemption. He goes on. Here's number five. In Christ, we are all one. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as, as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. So here's what the Bible says. In Christ, the Holy Spirit has brought us together. He has made us one. He has, you know, throughout the New Testament, you look for this, you'll find it. Paul talks about the mystery that was, that was hidden for years. And the mystery was that, that God, was, God loved everybody, not just the Jews. That God wanted to save Gentiles just as much as he wanted to save Jews. And that all men could come. Can I tell you something? The Jews thought... The Jews thought that because God made them a special nation through whom he would reveal himself to the world, they thought that meant they're all on the plane. They thought, they thought that means I'm on, the, I'm on the in him plane because I'm Jewish. And, and, and God never said that. They were wrong. You're on the in him plane by faith, not, not because of your heritage. And they were a special nation. They were God's nation. They were God's nation to reveal himself. But being on the plane was something different. And they thought that because of the virtue of who they were, they were automatically on the plane. They were wrong. The blessings of God for every man in Christ is that whosoever will can be joined together in God's family and can be on that plane. Every man, every woman, every child, doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your gender, doesn't matter your heritage. Number six. In Christ we have received an inheritance. Look at verse 11. In Jesus, in him, we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. We have been predestined to receive an inheritance from God. Now, now, Peter would talk about the same inheritance. Listen to what he would say. Again, that first letter, first chapter, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into, now listen, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, here's what Peter says. That inheritance that we have from God, it's undefiled. Okay, it's imperishable. It's not going away. It's undefiled. It's pure. It's never going to be soiled by anything. It's unfading. God keeps it for us in heaven. And it's to be revealed when? At the end. And he's obviously talking about the, our resurrection from the dead, a salvation for faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. He, here's what your inheritance is. It is your resurrection from the dead. 
It is the fact that you will rise to live forever and never, ever, ever die again. You know, and I say that, and, I, and I, think, I think about how people who don't have faith are going to be interpreting me, and they're going to be saying, oh my goodness, there is a loon up there speaking, right? Because all he's talking about is the resurrection from the dead. But I'm telling you, that is all the disciples ever talked about. It's all Paul ever talked about. It's all they all talked about. Our hope is in the resurrection from the dead, that we too shall rise just like our Savior did. And that is our inheritance, and it's being kept by God in heaven for us, undefiled, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's being kept for me on that day. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. My inheritance is eternal life in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Number seven, the last one. In Christ, we were sealed by his spirit. So one of the spiritual blessings is that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is to immerse us into Christ, to bring us into this body of believers, and it's to seal us. Now, look at verse 13. In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession. Until the final day when, when redemption is complete, we've been given the Spirit as a down payment of that inheritance to the praise of His glory. Now here's what that word sealed means. And I, I tell you, this was, this, is, this was amazing to me. This was so encouraging. So the word sealed there, it's not like God's put it in a bottle and He's sealing it up. That's not the way the word's used. The way the word is used is seal is, is about a mark. It's about a mark. So the word is used in, in the New Testament when Pilate seals Jesus' tomb. It's not that he's closing the tomb. It's that he puts his seal on the, on the, on the stone that if you move the stone, you're going to have to contend with me. So it was a mark. Abraham was sealed with circumcision. It was a mark. It was to mark him as being God's man. It was the mark that all of them wore, the circumcision of the flesh. And then in the book of Revelation, the seal is the mark on the forehead of God's servants that, that God chooses in, in that passage in Revelation. Here's my point. Christ, God, has marked us with the Holy Spirit as a seal, as a sign, as a mark as a, as a promised guarantee of what God is going to do for us and in us and with us and through us. So you say, well, Jimmy, what is the mark of the Holy Spirit? What is, what is the mark of the, what does it look like? What, what mark am I wearing? Well, the Bible says the Holy Spirit indwells us and fills us and teaches us, and empowers us, and leads us, and gifts us, and those marks are in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, but I don't really think they're the marks of the Holy Spirit. I don't think they're the seals of the Holy Spirit. You don't know what I think the seal of the Holy Spirit is, and I know, I know this is Jimmy's interpreting, and so you, 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 ask, you ask the Holy Spirit whether I'm right, but, but, but here's what I think are the marks of the Spirit. They're the fruit of the Spirit. The marks of the Spirit in your life and in my life, the, the guarantor, the guarantee that I belong to God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the marks of the Holy Spirit. Those are the things that God marks us with, you know? And so, so I have a question. Are you marked? 
Hey, do you, do, you, do you have the mark on you? Let me ask you, do you? Do you have the mark of the Holy Spirit? Is there a guarantee on your life that you, you have all that is in Christ because the Holy Spirit marks you with loving kindness? He marks you with joy. He marks you with patience. He marks you with, with faithfulness to God's word. I mean, you, you, you alone can answer that question, but do you have the marks the seal of the Holy Spirit in your life that you belong to Him. And before I leave this, I want you just to notice one thing. This is just, this is Jimmy's understanding, but I want you to notice, I want you to notice when we were sealed in Him. Notice in verse 13, in Him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation and when you believed. We were sealed in Jesus we, when we heard the truth, when we heard the gospel, and we believed. And that is when I believe we got on the in him plane. Now on the in him plane, let me show you again, just in case you've missed it. But these are the things, these are the blessings. This is the destination of the plane that is in Christ. However we get on the plane, this is the destination of that plane. We are holy and blameless. We are adopted as God's family. We are redeemed. We are saved. We are forgiven of our sins. We are all one. You know, I, I think the Bible hints at the fact that we'll still be divided somehow by nations in the new heavens and new earth, but, but there's, we're going to be one in Christ. I don't know how that'll work. I don't know how culture's going to be in the new heaven and new earth, but I know in the resurrection, we will all be one. And there'll not be any kind of nationalism like we know today, because we'll all be one in Christ, and Jesus will be our king. And we are all given an inheritance, resurrection and life, and we are all given the Holy Spirit to mark our lives as a guarantee that all the rest of the stuff that I just shared with you is yours in Christ. So let me conclude. You know, back at the beginning of this talk, I tell you, I'm going to share with you why I think God chose Pentecost to pour out the Holy Spirit. Here's why I think it happened on Pentecost. I think it happened because, because the Spirit was saying, these are the first fruits of what God is doing in his ecclesia. You are the first fruits. They were the first ones to believe on the Lord Jesus, and, and he was joining them together you know, in, in the body of Christ, they were the first fruits. And I think God chose, I think he chose Pentecost because of the symbolism of bringing the first fruits from your harvest to the temple worship. God is saying, these are the first fruits of all that I'm doing in Christ. So this morning, so this morning, I, I want to end the service with giving you a threefold invitation, Okay. And so here, here's my invitation to you respond to what you've heard this morning. And so first, let me say this. If you are in Christ today, here's my invitation for you. I'm inviting you to rest in Christ. To rest. I don't know how many of you have flown, but if, you've ever, if you ever fly, you're as nervous as can be until you get on the plane and sit in your seat. You're nervous that you're not going to make it. You're nervous, well, will I get through customs? Will they, will they hold me up? Will I miss my plane? Will I go to the wrong place to meet the plane? And you're just antsy until you get on the plane. But when you walk down the rampway, you start to feel relief. And when you sit in your seat, you just rest because you're on the plane that's heading you to wherever you're going. 
I, I, I want to encourage you this morning that if you are in Christ, rest in him. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let me tell you, if you're in Christ this morning, rest. Rest in him. Please don't misunderstand my statement here. You know, Paul told us to fight. I really want you to, I want to encourage you to fight, to fight the good fight, you know, to, to fight for Christ. And I don't mean to fight as the world fight. We wrestle not with, uh, with fle- we wrestle not like flesh and blood, right? We don't, we don't wrestle with guns and stuff. We, we fight with spiritual weapons of prayer and loving kindness and grace. That's how we fight the fight. But I'm encouraging you to fight, but in Christ, I'm just encouraging you to rest, just rest in him. Some of you here this morning, you need to examine yourself. You need to examine yourself and say, am I marked with the Holy Spirit? Unless you think I'm picking on you or unless you think I'm overstepping my bounds, this is what Paul told us to do in 1 Corinthians. He tells all of us to do this. Examine yourself to make sure you're in the faith. What does he mean? He says, make sure you're on the in him airline and make sure you're wearing the marks of the Holy Spirit. Make sure you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Make sure you're bringing forth the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the faithfulness, the goodness, the kindness, the self-control. Do those things mark your life? You know, and if you examine your life this morning, in this moment, if you examine your life and you say, Jimmy, the marks are they're sorely lacking. One of two things are true. You need to repent and deal with your, your lack of submission to the Spirit, or you need, to, you need to confess Jesus. You need to say, man, I'm not a follower of Jesus, because if I was, the fruit of the Spirit will be mine. So examine yourself. Examine yourself. And then in the last part of my invitation this morning is I want to invite you to I want to invite you to receive Christ. I want to invite you to follow Jesus. I want to invite you to receive all the spiritual blessings that are in Christ. I want to invite you to come and be in Christ. And you said, Jimmy, I don't know how to be in Christ. Well, to be in Christ, it's it's really, it's, it's nothing to it other than in your heart, repenting and trusting Christ as your Savior, receiving Jesus. But as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So let's just take a moment. We're all going to sing together in just a moment. But in this, in this quietness of this moment, I'd like to ask you to bow your heart and head before God. And I'd like to ask you to just, you know, if, if what you need this morning is to stop worrying and rest in Christ, then rest in Christ. If this morning you need to examine yourself, in fact, all of us need to examine ourselves, we really do. But if you're examining yourself this morning and you're finding that uh, the mark and seal of the Holy Spirit is just not really evident in your life, then ask yourself why. Do you need to, do you need to confess your sin? Do you need to repent this morning? Then repent. Put, put away that thing, that, that sin that so easily besets you. Put it away. Confess your sin. Bring bring forth the marks of faithfulness to God and loving kindness to others and goodness, all those things. This is your opportunity to respond to the Spirit to to do what He's telling you. And then then finally, if you're here this morning and, and you're not in Christ and you know it, 
but God's been working on you. Maybe you've had more opportunities than just this morning to hear what the kind of thing I'm saying, and God's been working on you. Today is the day. Receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior today. In your heart, just say, God, I, I need you. I, I'm, I'm sinful. I need forgiveness. I want to be saved and rescued from my death. I don't want to die. I want to live. Let him rescue you. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us on the web at www.baconscastle.com.